Welcome to My Daily Caregiver Podcast. This is Joanne Bracewell, and I'm a family nurse practitioner with over 30 years experience in family practice. And I have a heart for victims of domestic violence and their resilience in the face of trauma. We are restoring your hope to your day by presenting interviews with people who share stories of difficult times in their lives where God intervened and restored their hope through personal revelation of the truths of God's word. Some share their story through writing a book about their experiences. My next guest is Dinka. She's written a book. She's in the process of publishing it. However, I wanted her to be able to share her story. I met Denka and her family while I was in Nairobi in the fall of 2020 doing a women's outreach. Denka and her family accompanied my traveling team out to villages and helped with translating and interpreting the cultural ways of the people and sharing her testimony. Denka's story is one we need to hear for it will encourage you and see the hand of God in her life. Thank you, Denka, for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you, Joan, for having me. Life started very peacefully for you, didn't it, Denka? Yeah. Describe, it, des- describe your home life in the early years, things that were a great memory, some peaceful memories to you. So in my family, we are born five kids and I'm the second born. And uh, I have very good memories of my mom and my dad playing together, cooking together, having a fun marriage. And um, one of the best memory that I have, which I think it can't be erased from my mind, is I remember my dad once took me to a salon. Well, it's not very common here in Africa, but he took me to the salon and, uh, you know, he stayed there waiting for my hair to be done. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That made you feel like a queen, I'll bet. To have the most important man in your life at that point dote over you is so special for all girls as they grow up so that they will expect the same treatment from their husband. Sure, yeah. Unfortunately, there was a major shift in your parents' relationship and in your family's situation. Now, your dad's perspective and his beliefs about marriage changed It sounds like it must have been very frightening as well as unsettling because everything was stable and and doing well. How did these things change? What exactly happened? Um, You know, because I'm raised in a Christian family. So when my mom's and my dad's marriage was doing okay, my mom and my dad would follow the Bible and do what God wants or what God expects in a marriage. But things shifted where my dad changed from following the Bible to follow the old traditional models in Africa. Uh, Some of these models say that when a man gets circumcised or when a boy gets circumcised, they are not equal like ladies or women or girls. They are described not as boys, but as men. And this thing continues until they die. So... Even him being in a marriage, traditional wise, he, you know, he's not expected to laugh with her girls, to, you know, take her daughters to salon or even sit around the table and eat with them. That's not what traditionally, uh, you know, he's not asked to do that as a man. And, and some of these ideas may have come from outside influences uh, if he didn't have a strong enough connection with other Christian men, um, did he make choices to spend time with those other people or did he lose a job or what do you think happened that he had so much time to spend with these other influencers? I wouldn't say that he lost a job, but I would say that 
some and, and most of his uh, workmates at work would ask him how comes he's laughing with his wife and spending time with his daughters uh you know apparently he shifted from following the bible to following the traditional ways and uh, you know just doing like what his workmates are doing in their families which didn't really bring any happiness or any joy to us but it brought sorrow it brought bitterness and a lot of other things got born from just that that's a really good point when we don't follow god's ways you know we are not going to be promised to have any kind of peace and you know to this day there's a lot of people who choose to follow things the, the world's way we would call it and um it's such a mystery that they would choose that i i see it in uh, my work with people who choose and and uh, go the route of abusing drugs or alcohol and uh, you know, they just choose to leave their spouses. They think that finding a new, a younger woman is going to solve their problems. And uh, when it's not God's way, it is not going to be something that's that's happy. So here, your dad is going along this path of following uh, really external influences, his coworkers, and the ways of the the, the um, community or the tribe, whatever would have applied there. And then um, things began to get really rough. You started to, you know, you grew and you became more independent and you moved away from home in order to get a job and be independent. But then things escalated to violence while you were living away from home with your mom and you had two younger siblings. Yeah. So actually, according to the shift of things, I couldn't stay at home. Well, none of my siblings could stay at home. <laughs> so I had to leave home when I was 17 years. And so you, uh, had to, you had to leave. Yes, I had to leave because my dad is uncontrollable. And uh, you know, at, at your teenage life, <laughs> you don't really want someone who controls everything about you. <laughs> sure, so I sure. left. I left home, but I left home because I was going to look for work and I found work and um, I would support my life. I supported my life ever since I was 17 years old. But things at home continued being worse and worse and worse, not just now verbally, but also violetically to, you know, very bad bruises and, uh, you know, to a point that mom became very sick that she couldn't even wash her dishes at home or even wash her clothes. That's how bad it was. So he was physically battering her and she was responding almost like a telescope and just withdrawing into herself. And here we might call it uh, depression or severe depression, because we know that depression is anger turned inwards. And I would imagine that actually from personal experience, I was the victim of domestic violence and I became very angry, but I had nowhere to, you know, to place that anger because I knew that it would uh, only inflame things and that my spouse would actually hit me more, you know? So I decided that I had to withdraw to myself. And it sounds like perhaps that was what she was doing to protect herself, just kind of withdrawing. Very, very sad. And, and you found out about this. So you decided to move back home. What was your motivation? To move back home. Okay, so I found out about this, and um, my motivation to go back home and you know to resign my job, leave everything I was doing, and go back was the condition my mom was on. 
already, you know, sickness, which no one could find out what exactly it was. And then also my siblings, because when all this violence were happening, it was being done in front of my siblings, where they had reached a point where they were not in love with their parents, but they were afraid mm-hmm. of their dad. Yes. I, I remember. One statement that my brother said, my brother said that he always doesn't like when dad is home. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that Charles Hart is already, you know, busting with fear and, you know, just noticing that whenever dad is around, there is violence. So I left work coming back home thinking that I would help my mom to live long Mm -hmm. and probably restore love and uh, hope into my siblings life, which really Mm -hmm. didn't happen. (laughs) Yes. It yes. Happen. Yeah. 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 Your your siblings, I'm sure, are continue to appreciate that. And as a child goes through something like domestic violence, they have studies that have shown that it really uh, creates a lot of dissonance in their core. And as they age, as they become adults, there's still that sense of anxiety and instability mm-hmm. because. That foundation that was supposed to have been established for them as a child is now mm-hmm. um, had been destroyed. And I've seen it in other uh, families close to me who've had issues where the parents were not um, responding the way they should and a sibling stepped in and mm. uh, it was very beneficial for the, the younger sibling. So um, that's a, a positive that you were able to do. However, your decision had its uh, cost. It, it cost you a lot by coming back. Not only did you lose your job, but then when you came at home, the piece uh, sounded like it was short-lived. And <laughs> you, you were there Sorry. for a short period of time. And then tell us how things were when you came in. And then as time went on. Um. So when I came back home, things played cool for, let's say, two weeks or three weeks. Um, I don't understand why exactly my dad played cool or played sweet. Uh, But, you know, I think he couldn't hold his peace anymore. So after some few days, he busted into being violetic again. And this time around, it was bad because now he would fight me and mom together. Mm. Uh, I think in his head, he thought that I'm supporting mom, but well, like any other child, you wouldn't watch your mom being sick, uh, you know, having to wash dishes or the house, just like any other wife would do. And you just let her be. I couldn't hold that. I had to help my mom. Well, I came there purposely to help mom. And uh, it didn't last for long. I helped her. Well, she, she got better for two weeks, but things just busted and uh, it now even became worse to not just violence but now war you know (laughs) we would be beaten both of us together it was so horrible Uh it was so horrible and he used um he used weapons or um objects he would would use his hands hands. let me tell you there is a time that my dad when he was fighting me and my mom he actually boxed me on my face several punches now if i'm to describe the kind of war which was happening um do you know how boxing people bounce back when they want to hit someone yes my dad to me he bounced back then hit me i remember that as if i watched a movie goodness yep. and you 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 probably felt like you were in a bad dream or something of you just how could a man who birthed you treat you like that and how painful yeah. and such rejection and and confusion because you've got 
you know, the way your heart is built. And then you've got this message from this person, this physical attack. I just, I can't imagine um, having a father do that to their child. Um, What did your mom eventually do uh, through all of this? So when things got very worse, my mom decided to leave. Well, before she decided to leave, it was a case where my dad choked her at night. I, I don't know if he wanted to kill her. I, I have no idea, but of course, probably that's what was to be. And my mom managed to escape from the bedroom. And uh, from there, actually, I was from work that that evening. And um, when my mom came out, I still remember how my mom screamed. I, I hear that voice in my head. Yeah. And, you know, as old as I am, you can imagine what, what exactly is in my siblings' hearts or mind, yes. you know? Yes. So after that, that day when my dad tried to choke my mom in the night, that's how we planned to escape. And that's how my mom escaped. And she didn't leave my siblings behind. Well, I have two young siblings. By then, my brother, he was seven years old and my sister was five years old and she didn't leave them she went with them now she went with them not knowing where she's taking them not knowing not having any home that she has built by herself or you know anywhere but she escaped and she went back to her parents home yeah yeah it's in the United States, um, they've been able to uh, create domestic violence shelters. And uh, there's been few people in the community who know that this is an issue where when you leave and you have nowhere to go, um, mm. you need some a safe place, at least for a few days until you can contact relatives and mm-hmm. families. And uh, in, in your situation, you just don't have that resource. And mm. um, I'm thankful for her parents. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, how did you feel about staying left behind with your father? I, I would wonder, well, did you feel your mom abandon you? But I'm sure you knew that she was leaving mm-hmm. in order to be safe and you wanted her to yeah. be safe. So then mm-hmm. you chose to stay behind with dad. So the reason exactly why I was left behind is I knew that place as my home. I was born there. I was raised there. He has been my father. Going with mom, it would have been okay. But where else do I know as home? I don't have any other home apart from there. So with or without mom going, I knew that that was my place. Mm -hmm. Another reason why I decided to remain with dad was if I had gone with mom, well, she's going back to the village. In the village, there is no money. There is no work. They are the only farm and survive in poverty. And, you know, that's how life is in the village. So Mm -hmm. me going with mom was actually adding possibilities on her. So the reason why I stayed behind was I would continue looking for money, support mom with my siblings in the village as well as go on with my life because I was old enough. I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, were, you were looking at your future. And yes, I was looking at my future. Yes, and it sounds as if you knew that staying in the village with your mom, you would be more of a burden because then she would have to find food for you as well as her two, as your two younger siblings. Mm-hmm. And by you be, having a job, um, you would be able to send money home. And we do see, actually, uh, there are certain people from other countries who come to the United States and do something similar, where they're working and uh, sending money home to the, the more poverty-stricken countries. And mm-hmm. um, uh, sometimes people do what they have to do because of love of family. And 
because of the disruption in whether it be civil war or political problems where these other countries are not able to provide jobs and mm-hmm. you know be able to um, give you work that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine too that even though you were home, you were near people who you grew up with, friends and friendships and people who knew you. And at that point, I don't know, did you have people to talk to? Because uh, you had to go back to work. And um, I would imagine that once you start working, you're busy with life and busy with working. Um, how did those things work together? Friendships, a social life, and then you started an unusual job. Um, so, Joanne, normally all human beings would love to have a shoulder to lean on. You know, leaning on my mom's shoulder would have been adding maybe stress on her or something. So I had friends, friends who probably when things are not working well at home, I would run to them and just even if they wouldn't help me financially or anywhere, I would just give them my story and they wouldn't even pray with me. But just pouring my heart into someone would you know, would just help me not to get stressed. Yes, I had a lot of friends, actually best friends, <laughs> but things kind of turned around with how life situation pushed me because the situation which I was in was unbearable. And I heard to do a job which here in Africa, it's not considered as just a job, but, you know, worst of the worst jobs. Um, I'm talking about picking people's bus fares in a commercial public bus when it's moving. Here, we call those buses Matatu. That's how we call them. Matatu. Yes. Yes. So they were the public transportation, the buses, people get on and off, they have to pay their fare. And in the United States, we have a till that's at the front of the bus. And usually we don't give it to anyone. We put it in this bucket and it swirls around and goes into a machine. And in your case, in your country, uh, there's actually someone who is responsible for taking the money. And so the bus driver, I suppose, doesn't have to deal with people who may not want to pay. And Mm -hmm. you had to to deal with those people. Uh, Mm -hmm. Plus, you had mentioned to me that the type of person that normally does this kind of job uh, is not someone like 20-year-old Denka who lives in a nice little place with her dad. Um, Mm -hmm. These were different kind of people. Most of the people who do this kind of a job are either prostitutes, drunkards, you know, people who are, let's say, maybe 25 years and above, you know, probably they're even single ladies or, you know, just people who are pushed too much with life. Mm. And um, me doing that job, I wasn't a prostitute. Actually, I was a Christian, (laughs) a strong Christian, if I can call myself that, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I wasn't just a single lady, but I was staying with my dad in my dad's house. But that's how or that's where life had pushed me to. Well, I'm, I'm certain that God allowed that for a reason. I call you the angel on the bus. So it sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a new uh, a kid's book or something. But um, how did your, once your father found out about this, did he say anything? Did he have any uh, comments or uh, concerns about you doing this type of work? 
No, my dad did did not even care about anything to do with my life. Mm. He never questioned me. He never said anything. Though I remember one statement that he said one evening when I came back to the house and he called me, he said, I want to talk to you. Then he said, if you dare get arrested, don't you give them my number. You know, he, di- he didn't want me to call him, you know, maybe as mm-hmm. um, one of my relatives or close person. Yes. And let me tell you, you see like how I've explained to you the kind of job and the people who do that job. Most of the people get arrested because you know it's it's kind of like a, a crooked kind of job I don't know how to explain that to you mm. but actually it's considered to be one of the top 10 worst job in Kenya oh my goodness wow and he didn't even he didn't know what you were doing he didn't seem to care and if there was a problem he didn't want to be there for you so it sounded like yeah. he pretty much disowned you and uh I just can't imagine, you know, and I I believe that some women go through this and then it makes it hard for them to trust God because Mm -hmm. if God is our heavenly father and our earthly father treated us like this, how Mm -hmm. could we get any kind of reconciliation in our heart and our mind that God, Mm -hmm. our father is the perfect father and he loves us. And my personal experience is that I've had to read the scriptures. I've had to get to know who God was in order to understand why he loves me, how he loves me, how much he loves me, and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of set aside what I experienced on earth. And I I don't know... Something, Joan. Not only did my dad do that, but I also lost friends. Who wants to be a friend to such a girl? I lost a lot of my friends, actually all of my best friends, people who knew everything that is happening in my heart, people who knew everything and, you know, everything, just everything about me. But, you know, not just them, but even their parents would tell them that they don't want to see them walking with me. Mm. You know, just like how I've told you, the job is considered worst of the worst. So Mm. apparently every parent wouldn't want their kid to be associated with such a person. Wow. But that did not change me. I kept on pressing on because I knew that my mom needed food. My siblings needed food. I needed a life. So what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? I had nowhere else to go. I had nothing else to do. Yes. You you yeah. did what you had. You, you pressed through to what... Um what was there for you. Um, yeah. I remember saying you saying that you prayed and prayed for changes to come. You fasted. This this probably was through a good part of your life. And, and at a point you said that um, you questioned God. And um, I think that when we pray and things don't change, that you can lose some of your, your hope. And um, when did you realize that God was all powerful in these uh, situations? Um, Joan, <laughs> even as I was working in that job, let me tell you, just like how I've told you that I was a strong Christian, I would go for prayer meetings. Not just prayer meetings, but fasting and praise for several days. Wow. Just just telling God to put my family together, to give me strength. I actually, my heart was shifted, not just to pray for my mom's marriage, but I would, I would just sob into crying to tell and ask God to have mercy on any other child who is going through divorce or violence or breaking up of a family because I had experienced it. Yes. I got a lot of questions. 
I couldn't understand how I would fast and pray, how I'm not a drunkard or a sinner or, you know, <laughs> how we would describe a sinner. Yet my family was breaking apart. I tried to pray and repent even my parents' sins. <laughs> But yeah. whatever happened, God caused it to happen. And uh, I wouldn't say that I, I didn't really understand, you know, why God was doing that or, you know, whatever was happening. Because I was a Christian ever since I was young. My mom raised me into Christianity. So with the background that I had, I knew very well that God does everything for his glory. It doesn't really have to do with us, the lifestyle we want, you know, the kind of happiness we want. It's about his glory. And let me tell you, Joan, as life has gone on with my siblings, whatever they've gone through, whatever my mom has gone through, whatever I went through personally, I would still stand. So few days back, I was speaking to my little sister and there is something that she told me. She said she has learned that God is her father. God is her brother. God is her uncle and cousin and relative. God is her neighbor. God is her everything. Well, when you hear such words from a 12-year-old girl, you would really understand what has she gone through to a point that at her age, she's calling God her neighbor, her father, her brother. There are some verses which have been keeping us going as a family. This is from Isaiah. Isaiah. 60. Isaiah. Yes, Isaiah 60. Well, all of it, but specifically verse 1 to verse 5. Personally, that has been a scripture that God spoke to me as a vision or, you know, because I had reached a point where I had lost hope. I, I saw myself as an orphan. I saw myself as a poor lady who would probably not even get married, not even get kids because I'm hopeless and my life is just miserable. That has been a scripture that has been speaking to me a lot. Let me read a couple of verses of Isaiah 60. The first three verses. Okay. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Now, let me tell you, that scripture alone, when God gives you as a vision, <laughs> yet you're at the lowest of the lowest of your life, you probably don't even understand the meaning of arise. But mm -hmm. let me tell you, I held them to eat to a point that when my life shifted, well, I'm not at my best, but the little step I took, in front, you know, it's enough for me to say that God made me and gave me the strength to arise. Amen. Another scripture, actually, that my mom likes, and it's also a vision that God gave her after she was at the point where she thought that her kids would never mount up to anything because they're orphans, because, you know, they're forsaken or they're forgotten, is Isaiah 62, just all of it. But specifically, God spoke to her about verse 12, the last chapter, where God, you know, she says that God calls her remembered. God calls her, you know. <laughs> and they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought out a city not forsaken. So not forgotten in the NIV. Mm -hmm. They will be called the holy people and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. So they now let me recognize. Now, let me tell you, the city, that is something which wasn't really in our minds. But when my mom looks at us, she only has five kids, but she's 
sees a city. She yeah. sees God redeem her family together, yeah. the family that was forgotten, beaten, and uh, and with a lot of bitterness and sorrow. It's now a city. Mm-hmm. And God is building it up little mm-hmm. by little. Joan, mm-hmm. let me finish up this testimony by actually yes. telling you yeah. the condition which my mom is in. My mom is well. She mm. is not sick. Amen. God healed her. My siblings are happy mm. with or without a father. They call God their father. Now, not alone there. They were begged for what to eat. There was a time they were begging for where to sleep. Mm. But God remembered them. God redeemed them. The same house they left at their father's place. God has built them a house better than that. Awesome. He is a God of the orphans, the God of those who are forgotten. Yes. It's real. Yes. When I say that yes. I know God more than how I knew him yes. when I was taught by my Sunday school teacher, yes. it is real. Yes. He is a real good father. Oh, awesome. Awesome testimony. And even your your own situation, uh, you have since then uh, met a wonderful Christian man, and you now have a family of your own, and uh, you're serving God in, in different ways. Your first, uh, of course, your 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 first ministry is at home with your <laughs> children. So um, may God bless you with more and more opportunities to share your testimony with this situation. And we're praying that uh, this podcast can spread to many people who will be touched by your encouragement and know that even when you go through a very difficult time like this, uh, that God is faithful. Uh, He has Mm. not forgotten those who have been through difficult times. And when they're going through them, he walks with us and he is there for us uh, to take back what what the enemy has stolen and what the enemy is trying to do. So we just praise Mm. God for your testimony. And I thank you so much uh, for being part of the My Daily Caregiver podcast. Again, uh, this is Denka, and uh, uh, we're speaking together. I'm Joanne Bracewell, and uh, we're restoring hope to our listeners' day by presenting these interviews with people who share stories of difficult times in their lives where God intervened and restored their hope through personal revelation of the truths of God's Word. We thank you so much for sharing your testimony with us today, Denka, is sharing your story, and may God continue to bless you as you share how um, God has has worked mightily in your life. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and listening to me. You're welcome. <laughs>